Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Ben Franklin and today we're talking about diversity in the tech sector and for brands, why it's important, what tech businesses and brands need to understand and how they can authentically champion meaningful diversity and inclusion in their work. Welcoming to the podcast, we have Sat Dial and Zareen Siddiqui. Sat is a senior director in Edelman's technology practice and in addition to his client and team responsibility, drives Edelman's citizenship agenda with a particular focus on diversity and inclusion, where he's engaging with the industry and with academia on Edelman's work and goals in the area. Zareen is a creative consultant at Edelman and has worked to help some huge brands to deliver some amazingly creative campaigns and has her finger firmly on the pulse of what makes a brand successful to connect with their audience. Hi, Sat and Zareen. Hi, thank you for having us. No problem. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, So let's get stuck in because this is obviously a massive topic, uh, especially in light of the recent momentum gained behind the Black Lives Matter movement, which we'll touch on a bit later on. Um, But let's start right at the top um, and just ask, you know, what what does diversity and inclusion actually mean? What does it mean to you? And um, how can companies authentically embrace it beyond just sort of paying lip service to to diversity? Uh, Sat, should we start with you? Thanks, Ben. So I think there's quite a lot to consider when it comes to you know what diversity means I think it means something to people who are not included in the culture of an organization um, diversity is pretty much for me uh, everywhere in, in many respects uh, when you think about our business there's a lot of people from th- a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of different experiences you know, that make up the whole um, but where it really matters is me is where you know, those who are included, uh, all those who are uh, in that culture are, feel included and that's why we talk a lot about inclusivity uh, as part of this. And here you find certain um, demographics, groups who in the working environment are in a minority and in some respects can also be affected by the fact that they're in that minority in terms of the development and growth. And so diversity for me is um, important to ensure that, well, well, sorry, let me take that back. In, uh, diversity happens when you have inclusivity and when you have inclusivity, you have everyone and anyone um, who is able to develop and grow, grow. And that's where this meritocracy idea really comes to the fore because you know we have this idea that we live in a meritocracy, uh, but the reality as we see through diversity is that that's not necessarily the case. Does that answer your question? It yeah. does, yeah, yeah. Zareen, do you, do you have anything to add? What does diversity mean to you? Yeah, um, I think Sat put it quite nicely. Um, to me personally, I think the word diversity is very complex. Um, it's one of those words that means so much. Um, it, it literally means a range of different things, different elements, and in the workplace, we, we refer to it as categories like race and gender. Um, and now we're increasingly considering different range of factors from age and sexual preference to disabilities, weight, um, you name you name it. But I think not to go too deep into this, but I think to a level and sad, I don't know if you agree, but our inability to like fully define what the term means and what includes within diversity has some sort of an impact on the lack of diversity that we have in general, um, especially in the workplace. But I guess diversity to me is more, it's it's supposed to be a spectrum of representation across different men, different um, dimensions. 
Mm, I think that captures it really nicely, a spectrum of representation, um, making sure that sort of come one, come all, come as you are, um, and touching on Sat's point as well of that, whoever you are, there's an opportunity to grow and to learn. Um, I really like that. Thank you both for, for sharing what it means to you. Um, in the tech sector then specifically, often the subject of bias in artificial intelligence comes up as an example of the need for racial diversity. Um, but obviously there are loads of different uh, ways that it touches a business, um, especially in the tech sector. Um, what are some of the other crucial impacts that a lack of diversity can have um, if we start on tech businesses, uh, SAT? What are, the, what are the impacts of a lack of diversity in tech? When I think of the tech sector, I think of, think of the future. Yeah. And mm -hmm. for me, what we do in the technology sector and certainly in technology communications is paint a picture of the future. You know, how society can be when we take all the technology that we have and the innovation that we have, um, you know, what kind of society we can be. So if you think from a technology sector perspective, it represents society, it represents culture, and it represents a future culture. And if our ambition from a diversity perspective is to have a representative workforce, a representative society, a representative uh, uh, government, a representative media, whatever institutions we look at, whatever organisations we look at, having that diversity in technology companies is going to be critical to ensuring that we have a future of diversity. So, you know, if you take it all back and, you know, disregard the points around, not disregards, but just kind of just broadly look at it and say, you know, um, diversity is important in any organization, fine. But in the organizations that are really building our future, you know, a future that we have yet to imagine, if we don't have diversity there, it's going to be a pretty bleak future. Mm, absolutely. Um, and Zareen, thinking about um, brands more generally, maybe mm. brands you've worked with or brands that you've um, you've seen, um, what are what are the crucial impacts of a lack of diversity in in the messages that brands portray? Mm. Well, I see diversity as being like um, like an ingredient for success for brands and organizations. Like there's no way to go around it, no substitute. You need that specific ingredient in order to succeed. And eventually through doing that, you'll be able to build trust with consumers, um, not just externally, but also, you know, internally. It's it's I think that's the biggest challenge today for brands to to really um, level up to that. So you need diversity to kind of live and breathe within the organization. And then that will kind of become external as well. Mm, absolutely. Um there's yeah there's definitely a lot in that sort of internal and external element um mm. you've sort of got the side of your company that's got to be diverse on the inside with the employees and the people who are working on your campaigns and working on your business um but also externally facing um you know the messages you put into the world the campaigns that you do create um need to reflect the sort of diversity within your company um so thinking about that sort of more external facing element of it then, for brands, what are what are some of the big missteps that could be made around diversity? Um, and, you know, well, let, let's start there. What are some of the big missteps that brands yeah. can make around their diversity efforts, Serene? Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest missteps that we're, we're seeing today in brands is, is treating diversity as like a single category. Um, like 
as if they want they need to to tick a box. It goes back to my point about being um, unable to fully define in all the different categories and different um, different types. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're we're all very unique. Individual people are just you know all unique, and and it's about truly recognizing our individual differences. And, and knowing that that exists in a group of people. So I think if uh, one of the biggest missteps is that if, if you're treating it as, you know, this is the, the topic or um, this is, so going back, you know, we were looking at diversity from a gender perspective and now, you know, it's more about ethnicity and now we're going to different different types of categories. So we can't treat it as a specific tick box. And you're seeing more people now, especially on social where, you know, we have influencers who are actually um, talking about, and you know, the campaign starting saying "done with diversity." We shouldn't be even using that word anymore, um, and that's because um, brands and organizations have been using it in in a form. So they will get one person that represents one certain stereotype, so that they can kind of tick that box. So I think that's one 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 big misstep that brands make. That's interesting. The idea of sort of, you know, it's not a checkbox exercise. It's about authentically embracing it and and not making it, um, yeah, not making it this this checkbox. We've done enough because there's always always more to be done. Um, so when brands face criticism, then uh, how how can they react? How can they sort of restore an image if if for a while they've they've not necessarily been seen as a, a brand that's particularly diverse? Well, there's, you know, there's, um, it depends which perspective you're coming from on this one. As I say, I think you highlighted earlier what we've seen in recent recent months around, you know, the murder of George Floyd, uh, Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor is that really there's been this heightened sense of the importance of having diversity, not only in the workplace, but kind of more broadly in the way that a brand communicates. And if you think about it, these things have emerged quite a lot over time, if not the recent past, certainly, you know, long into history, where I'd say the most simple thing is, um, have you, before you've put the uh, uh, communications out, have you looked at your customer base? Have you understood what kind of demographic is buying your products? what kind of demographic you are representing through your products. And then when you're putting out a communication, have you checked with that demographic, you know, the appropriateness of it or the relevance of it? Um, have you looked at your own uh, space that you uh, exist in? So, you know, you know, if you are in, in a country such as the UK, which is, you know, extremely diverse, you know, similar to many other countries, but what is the, demographic makeup of your country and are you being representative of that makeup of that uh, demographic and if not why not what's preventing you from getting there and there'll be loads of challenges uh, that you'll uncover through that process but look at the data you know as someone says look at the data see what it tells you and then make some decisions from there and I think sometimes um, instinct overtakes some of this because the creative or the idea in itself seems so powerful but if it doesn't translate as effectively to that audience then you know what it, what are the challenges there mm. absolutely there's i think there's a lot to be said for um 
for following your instinct. You know, you can instinctively sometimes tell when perhaps your environment or your workplace or your campaigns aren't as diverse as they should be. But um, equally, if if you've never um, sort of faced adversity on the basis of your um, gender or your race or your sexual orientation, etc., it might not always be immediately obvious to you that that what you've come up with or that the people you're working with don't reflect that so so strongly yeah um check 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 the position that you come in we've heard a lot of this this language around check your white privilege which is you know certainly in the context of ethnicity uh, is is quite relevant and powerful but there's just check your privilege in general Mm. you know what have Mm. you benefited from that others haven't and therefore when you're making these decisions who does it affect and simply by asking that question, it starts to open up uh, a lot more thought about, you know, how you pursue these things. If, if that question's there at the forefront, and asking that question is not difficult. And talk about, Sarin mentioned early on, a tick box. Like, have we asked the question at least before you try and explore the, the the breadth of diversity, which is, you know, as I said earlier, vast, you know, beyond ethnicity, gender. Uh, and the other very known protect, uh, protected characteristics, there is there's a huge uh, variety of experiences in uh, in life. And um, if you simply ask the question, that might start to open up some thinking about how you need to uh, approach uh, you know, communication strategies. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, and I'd, I'd um, like to add to that. Just to, just like I think to your question about like how brands should react to the criticism, like. I feel like brands should just be transparent and accept any criticism if there is any like they can't fight it especially today like I think they need to acknowledge like to this we live in a world where we're constantly learning and um you know it's it's part of the process um acknowledging that we're not perfect but I think it's the responsibility for the brands to really um work hard and make sure they're doing something about it Mm, and not just sort of uh, being seen to do something about it, but actually meaningfully changing what they're doing for the better, taking on board on board that exactly. feedback. Like some brands thought it might be okay to do something ten years ago, which might be unacceptable now, but it's it's what they learned from their mistake and and what they actually did something about it. As we ask in our trust barometer, in the question that used to be, do you trust you know X organization to do the right thing? We you know expanding on that question a bit further in that to do being the action that you're taking the competency that you're building and the right thing being you know a moral ethical question about uh how you're pursuing these things and if you're if you're there going to do the right thing it is about action as much as it is words right so a lot of tech businesses are b2b and a lot of what we've discussed on diversity in your external facing communications and campaigns has been uh, sort of considering consumer audiences, large consumer audiences, who will give you that kickback and who will kick back on social media, et cetera. If you're a B2B tech business and you're trying to um, sort of foster more diversity and show that you're becoming a more diverse company, what are some of the ways you can do that through your communications to other businesses? That's an interesting one. I think um, it's, so if we take the example of a B2B brand that's selling cloud software for argument's sake yeah mm-hmm. then have a look at the uh, 
customer base that are buying cloud software, there is going to be a certain demographic in there, but there's going to be a wider demographic in there as well, right? So if you simply only sell to, to one audience there with one experience there, the chances are that your messaging is only going to hit that specific individual. Um, and tech buyers, tech decision makers are quite broad in their approach, uh, you know, in, their, in their backgrounds. Um, and so there's stuff that you could be missing. So you know, again, it, it's, it's all about looking at the data and thinking about how that then um, shapes communications. And then more broadly, you know, when we are doing communications with B2B brands these days, as you, as you know, we're looking at not only the brand itself, but the the customers' customers, as it were, our clients' customers. And you know, when we're kind of trying to think about how to present this brand in light of their customers, uh, there you start to open up a much more wider uh, demographic. You know, it could be that we're selling, for, for argument's sake, to uh, a retail sec uh, a CIO and a retail brand, but effectively we're selling, helping the CIO uh, drive technology that's going to be reaching um, a consumer audience, right? So when you're thinking about the culture and the, uh, the culture in which your brand exists, your culture is going to be quite diverse. That's the way to uh, approach it. But you know, as I say, there is not just one CIO, and our own studies have done that when it comes to B2B buyers. There's not just one buyer, you know. And equally, when it comes to B2B decision making, a lot of it is, uh, as much as it is on the technical, rational side, a lot of it is still a human emotional impulse to buy. And these individuals that you're selling to don't exist in a vacuum. And if they, if they, if they, if they do, uh, you know that vacuum would have to be a bunch of people just like themselves that they hear from and see from every day, which they don't. So, you know, when you're thinking through again that individual, their background, their experiences when you're selling to them, and what culture does that individual sit within as well? So again, I think that becomes an important part of uh, starting to apply diversity in that thinking. We're going to talk a bit more about diversity in the tech sector and in brands, but first, let's take a quick listen back to the last episode of Sideload, where we discussed esports, virtual worlds, and big businesses. I think the smart big brands will stay around, like your Red Bulls of the world and your Coca Colas, who are actually doing smart investments into esports. I think your you know your financial company like finance like agency companies and like your car brands who are doing ads of like here's a bunch of esports players being driven around in a toyota i think like that kind of shallow level will go away but i think those brands who are smart and get the audience and get what's being asked from them will stick around Welcome back. You're listening to Sideload, and today we're discussing what diversity means to brands and businesses in the tech sector and beyond with Sat Dayal, Senior Director and Driver of Edelman's Diversity and Inclusion Work, and Zareen Siddiqui, a creative strategist with an in-depth knowledge of the power of brands and their image. Um, so picking up then where we left off, um, we've talked a lot about external communications and the fact that you know being a diverse business has this internal and external component. Um, there's an obvious moral and social imperative to improving diversity. Um, and for a lot of businesses, there's a strong business case too. What are some of the greatest benefits um, of working in diverse teams? Um, should we start with you, Sat? OK, 
God, I was, I was afraid you're going to come down to that with me. So, um, <laughs> interesting, uh, we, I can remember we had uh, Lisa Ross, who's our uh, general manager for uh, the DC office here a couple of years ago, and uh, she was with Gopreet Bra, who's the general manager of our uh, Brussels office, you know, and they were giving a talk on diversity and inclusion. They're two individuals with, you know, from... Uh, uh, background ethnic backgrounds and a variety of other protected characteristics in terms of you know being in a minority audience um and it was a broad talk and i remember lisa kind of you know asking the question what more can we do to drive uh greater diverse thinking in our teams and she said look she goes all well and good essentially i'm super paraphrasing here but she goes it's all well and good <laughs> looking for uh, diversity in the workplace she goes when but when you go home and you go to a restaurant and it's full of the same people, people like you. You go to a bar and it's full of the same people, people like you, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't have diversity in your day-to-day life, how can you have it in the workplace? Conversely, if you do have that diversity in your in your life and you don't have it in the workplace, I mean, you know, the question is why not? And the question is, I think, if you're able to have that level of um, that breadth of experience in your in your data life why can't it exist in your workplace and sh- you know why shouldn't you be striving for it if you you know a much more uh, vocal opinionated collaborative all the good stuff with your diverse set of friends you know why can't they exist in the, exist in the workplace as well so there's just a straightforward kind of you know in, in the in the environments we work in, you know, it's, which is certainly uh, very much about people having to get on, having to be creative, having to collaborate, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're going to be more collaborative in a team that's more diverse, you know, that's going to be super important. And if you're not, and if it's if your life is the other way around, as I say, you you see the important, you know, there's the importance of diversity in the workplace, but you don't necessarily have that at home. Now the question is, why are you seeking diversity? And crucially. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the feedback that I get within the comms and the creative industry, let's say, is that it's all about ideas. And you know, if you need ideas that go beyond the day-to-day, if you have the same team and the same background, your ability to reach those ideas is going to be limited. So the more diversity you have in your team, mm-hmm. the better chance you've got of getting to different ideas. You know, bit neurodiversity on one side with... A certain group or just be it cultural diversity on the side with, with, with the team that you're in so ideas if it's all about ideas then where are ideas going to come from and I, I'm sorry I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I do labour this point sometimes and I think you know personally as I say that the a lot of the decision making a lot of the structures within the comms media industry has been driven by a certain demographic yeah uh, leadership is driven by a certain demographic um, you know and we're in this position now where the battle for ideas certainly in our industry becomes even more critical. And if I, those ideas are coming from the existing structure, you know, those, there's, there's going to be very little chance of getting new ideas. So we've got to create more diversity to increase the battlefield, for argument's sake, and come up with better ideas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Zareen, as, as a creative, ideas are sort of very much in your ballpark. Ideas are a big part, I imagine, of what you do every day. Um, have you working in the teams you've worked in have you found there to be huge benefits to increasing the diversity in those teams and the ideas you come up with absolutely yeah i think i think bringing together different types of people can 
truly help spark creativity and innovation. So I think it, it just broadens the scope of your thinking. Um, I think at the end of the day, you just need a lot of unique POVs saying, um, weighing into a particular topic. So then if, if there's too much overlap in terms of interest, skills, um, knowledge, then the output just become very ineffective. So I think it's really important that we, um, we, we include unique POVs from different people. Mm, absolutely. Otherwise, you're never going to come up with an idea that reaches more than people like the people in the room. Um, that coming back on, on something you said about sort of structure and leadership, um, there are lots of schemes that look at attracting more diverse talent at a junior level. Um, I actually joined Edelman through, through one such scheme. Um, but how can businesses reform their leadership to be more truly diverse? Um, sort of what, what are the challenges and changes that can be made at the top? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a journey, right? Um, so I'll give an example of a group of charity that we work with, um, which has been very much focused in this area. So you've, you've probably heard me talk a lot about the Taylor Bennett Foundation Um established over 10 years ago by the recruitment firm Taylor Bennett and the reason you know why they established it is because uh, as a recruitment firm they were getting lots of requests for talent senior talent that came from a black Asian or minority background um, and you know, they were struggling to fulfill these roles and they said actually what's the challenge the challenge is we're not we're not seeing you know enough senior leaders uh, from these backgrounds so let's create a program that, um, to your point, on the entry level, starts at the entry level and starts building you know, that pipeline of talent, um, equipping them with the skills and the capabilities and the networks to be able to then, you know, years later, take these more senior positions. And, you know, um, they're, they're a small charity, but they've done an incredible amount of work. Um, and, you know, the... Some, many of those individuals have risen. Some have disappeared. Some have fallen off, and some have gone into completely different industries as well. Um, so the challenge, I think, in terms of getting to that leadership level, is actually what kind of um, environment is created to allow that individual to rise you know, uh, into those positions. And I think the ch the challenge right now is um, what defines leadership is perhaps very different to where uh, to what will enable diverse leadership and so there's programs that need to be undertaken to ensure that those coming through the ranks are equipped with the skills necessary to be able to uh, to, to ascend to those levels and I say this is this is just as applicable in gender just as applicable in um, uh, uh, disabilities just as applicable in mental health there's a loads of different areas where actually that environment that allows someone to, to ascend that would be different um, needs to go through a bit of a uh, change um, and the support that these individuals get um, needs to be almost doubled down on to ensure we we get to those levels um, and another part is then thinking about what because i say when i say um, leadership is thinking about what defines success as well because if we're uh, define success based on a a, a bench that is you know there before senior leadership which is very much like leadership and the challenge is that that bench is going to continue to fuel you know um, what that leadership looks like so unless you look at the bench almost below that scene uh, that senior leadership and see what that's like 
what kind of changes need to happen there, you know, that's going to help um, uh, bring about the, the wider demo, demographic change you want to see in the business. Mm. Yeah, and just thinking on on that sort of subject of success um, there, and what it looks like in an organization um, to sort of successfully um, successfully work on their diversity and inclusion efforts. Zareen, on the on the sort of more creative side and on the brand side, what what do you think success looks like? Where if a company says, you know, we want to be more diverse, we want to um, consider our audience in a more diverse way, we want our brand to be thought of as, you know, a diverse business to work for and a diverse brand telling diverse stories. What does success look like for a brand that's doing that well? Um that's an interesting question. What does success look like? I think it goes back to Seth's uh, story about senior leadership. If you go to a restaurant and you can't find the same people that you see outside in in the room, um, I think that's the most important. Um, everything starts from um, inside. You know, they say diversity starts at home. You know, it, 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 everything else is just that's just the ripple effect of it. So, I, I think Seth mentioned. You know, the the true importance of having a truly diverse um, leadership team is so important. You know, there's no point in attracting and hiring diverse junior team if, if it doesn't reflect the top, you know, if, if, if um, they don't get the same opportunities, if their voices aren't heard, because um, then that's not being inclusive. So I think success truly being diverse, again, like the word, it's, it's almost becoming a buzzword right now, but um, does it truly represent everyone is, is the question. Yeah. Does that mm -hmm. answer your question? It's, it's... It does, yeah, yeah. I think when you, when you, when you, um, when you, and I come back to that point you know, earlier on about meritocracy, um, we have this idea, and certainly in our, in our industry, of you know, that, that talent can come from anywhere, um, creativity can come from anywhere, and we, you know, live in an, we are working in an environment where anyone with the ability can ascend. Yep. Mm. And there's this, um, you know, when I look at the uh, training that we give around diversity and inclusion, one of the quotes that we have from, from a, a lady named Lisa Leeswood, who's um, written on uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, a book that I kind of picked up a, a while ago and has helped initially establish, you know, you know uh, my view or my uh, approach to things is you know just to read the quote she, the, well, the book is um uh essentially based on uh the analogy with noah's ark where all the animals come in and you know it's not that it's a biblical reference it's more of a case of you know noah's ark had a huge amount of diversity on it right um and uh, what she says is one quite a pull from it. it's called in a true meritocracy the benefit of diversity will emerge when we, when we become aware and conscious of how we feel about the other who is sharing our space, albeit in the arc. Yeah? So actually, in terms of the environment that you work in, the culture that you're working, the benefit there is that you have a really great place to work. And you have a really great, great place to work. It's a place that you want to um, uh, contribute to, that you want to do your best at. Um, you know that will then translate into the outcomes for the business. You know that's what we want. We want people who want to come in, give their best, deliver their best, and then result in you know uh, great outcomes for our clients, for 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 the business as a whole. So um, I think it just it plays through. 
a great place to work will then obviously then lead to not so obviously but it's got more chance of succeeding right and we have all these mm-hmm. we have all these awards and studies out there about a great place to work right we celebrate the idea of um, uh, uh, a working environment being somewhere that you can spend your time that you can develop you can grow that you can earn more you know that you can reap the rewards etc you know that's what we want right so um, if greater diversity and inclusivity leads to that that can only be a good thing Mm. And do, do you think that if um, if a business manages that really well or a brand um, manages that really well and sort of fosters that genuinely diverse environment, do you think it, it has an influential effect on sort of the partners they do business with um, and on their customers? Do you think this is sort of a, a sea change, a bit of a chain reaction that we see or, or, or you know, because thinking about everything that's happened recently especially on social media there have been brands that have shied away from the conversation i think in fear of making a misstep but do you think that the the success of some brands and of some tech businesses to um champion diversity is is putting pressure on others to also step forward and do more so i look at this talk about the future and I look and look at this to the context of demographics, and we look at our own studies on this, right? So the recent studies we had on brand trust and um, uh, racial equality. The the more uh, you look down at younger generations, the more likely they are to be seeking these kind of uh, practices from brands, right? Any brand really, but you know mm-hmm. the environment they want to work in, that they're seeking more diversity. Even we go to our trust data when you know what they what they want to see from leadership, what they want to see from the companies they're working within. It's, it's you know, to be out there on the front talking about diversity inclusion and acting on diversity inclusion. Um, and then again, when you go down to the younger demographics, it's, it's very apparent. So, um, you know, I think we're at this point right now where perhaps there is the um, attention between uh, generations about the whole value of diversity inclusion. But... Certainly, when you look to the future, that tension starts to disappear. So it becomes a central part of how uh, customers, consumers think about brands and also about employees think about brands. So if you're not, I'd say if you're not necessarily, if you're not positioning yourself, I don't see the need to position yourself there now, um, then you're not really looking ahead to what's going to come downstream because that's the expectation. And, hmm. and when you... And, um, yep. And when you look at another important part to look at is then you know the society that you're in, and in in the UK. Um, now I'm going to have to get you the source on this one, but I, you know I saw some data a couple of years ago, which just looked at the kind of how people identify themselves uh, currently in the workplace workplace when it comes to ethnicity and what they will look like in a couple of generations' time. Um, so right now. It's approximately, you know, one in sixteenth in the workplace would identify themselves as an ethnic minority. Yeah, go one generation below into school age, and how people have kind of been uh, uh, categorised themselves, it goes to one in eight. Yeah, so generation time will be one in eight in the workplace. Go two generations down, it's one in four. Yeah, so it's a quarter of your workforce and a quarter of your potential consumer base. Is going to be is not not necessarily going to be not just going to be asking for these things, but is going to be expecting these things. You know, if you're going to rule out a quarter of your potential, then you're you're not really realizing your potential, right? Thinking about the present, um, with a view to sort of building that future, um, Zareen, 
especially with all that's going on in the present with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it's not enough for brands to sort of sit quietly on that. What are some of the, the best ways that they can meaningfully support movements like Black Lives Matter? Um, what are some, sort of some of the, the things they should be saying and doing and thinking about um, now so that they can start building the future that, that Zach talks about? Yeah, um, I think I think for brands and organizations, um, similar to individuals, because at the end of the day, brands and organizations, it's just a group of people, right? So similar to individuals, I think it's just time to stop, reflect internally first. I think that's the most important thing that we need to do um, and really try to understand the movement, the history, the systemic issue, the impact, because at the end of the day, you might think you know, but, but you don't, right? And it's okay to acknowledge that you don't know. So as a non-Black person, you will probably never understand, truly understand how a Black person feels. So it's understanding that. So even for a brand or an organization to be transparent and understanding that. So it's okay to just reflect internally first. Um, I think that's where it goes wrong um, because you know we have this responsibility to ed educate ourselves. And so that's the best place to start and a powerful way to support the movement. Um, and like to your next question around the mistakes that they can make, you know, we're seeing a lot of brands jumping into the support externally phase without realizing that they might be actually part of the problem. So, and if they are, they're being called out now, um, given, you know, what's going on right now and rightly so, you know, they're like, you're, you're, you're supporting this, but actually internally your employees are saying this. So it's, again, I think the, the, the best place to start for a brand is to reflect and look internally and try to understand if they are part of the problem. And, and so just, just, just to add on that, like I think Sad just mentioned it before as well on consumers, you know, like on our Edelman Pulse Trust, it, it even showed that 60% um, of Americans say that they, they will buy or boycott based on a brand's response to the current protests. So, so being silent is not really an option today. You, you need to actually um, understand the movement and understand that it's not just a trend. Absolutely, that's, I think, great advice. Sort of acknowledge what you don't know, do the work to educate yourself, and then, and then think about the external facing side of that to make sure it's backed up by, by that internal action. Um, Sat and Zareen, I, I think we're all out of time. Uh, obviously, this is a huge topic. We could have gone on for hours and hours longer. Um, but thank you both so much for, for joining today for the show. Um, and thanks to the listener. Thank you for listening to Sideload. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time.